Monday on Stick to Football, we get to break down. Players are declaring, players are being benched. There's a COVID outbreak in the NFL. Plus, we got our first firing of the NFL season. That's always exciting. Didn't expect it to happen in October, but it will. And of course, a little blind review. Our pick six for the weekend. It's a jam-packed show. Mello and Connor alongside me for the day. And guys, let's just start right here. Trey Lance officially declares for the 2021 NFL Draft following one game this year against Central Arkansas. North Dakota State not able to play a full schedule due to COVID-19. So Trey Lance says, I'm going to go out there and play one game, and then I'm going to bounce, basically. In that game, he accounts for four touchdowns. He does throw his first collegiate interception. So Trey Lance can actually go to the NFL, guys, now saying, I've done it all in college. Finally threw an interception. I guess if that's the way you that's want how to I look, look at, at it. it. Yeah. And good for this guy. Gets to come out and have his showcase game. I guess that one last hurrah with your teammates is what he wanted to do. Uh, I don't think that this news surprised anybody. He's declaring for the draft. Uh, it looks like he's probably going to be a top 10 pick. So good for him. I'm sure he's going to get with a quarterback coach very soon and then be able to work on his game some more. Yeah, I think he got to see a little bit of everything, right? And it's it's one of those things where we were nervous, like, how would everyone react? Would it be, you know, because then you have people that have only heard about Trey Lance from the summer and they're like, this is the first time I'm watching him. And they're like, why should I be impressed? And it's like, well, it's one game. It's his only game of the year. You know, it, it takes a little while to get going. So we, we saw a rusty first half, but we also saw some things that make him great. I mean, you see the ball explode out of his hand. Uh, you see the running ability you know, there are the ability to throw a touch accuracy, I think, started to click a little bit later on in the game. So for Lance, it, you know, it's he's a traits guy, right? And I think he actually is further along than a lot of people give him credit for because of how accurate he can be. But he's going to have to get used to having a faster internal clock. He's going to have to be throwing under pressure a lot more when you go from the level of competition that he's at to the NFL. So, you know, it, it was good to see him play. It's going to be a fascinating process uh, for him. I'm sure you guys feel the same. This game did not move the needle either way, right? Didn't raise him up the board, didn't bring him down the board. Now you kind of just start to do your homework about Trey Lance, uh, you know, how he's progressing with his training, how he is off the field and as a leader. But this guy should probably be a top 10 pick no matter what. I think so. I actually think he should be a top five pick. I really do. And it goes back to traits. And, and here's what I'll say. Like, you want to put every player in a bubble, right? And be like, okay, this is who Trey Lance is. But I look at this player and it's like, okay, he, he does need some work. I, I think not even work. He needs exposure in the passing game where, okay, you're going to have to make quicker reads. The ball's going to have to come out a little bit faster. But I can say that about Lamar Jackson still. You know, like I can say that about Josh Allen still. Deshaun Watson even. Right. And so, but what I see is I see a player who, when things break down, he can run for 143 yards and two touchdowns against Central Arkansas, which is a good program. And that that, that speed is actually translatable across levels. Like, I think he would be successful running were he the quarterback at Michigan and he was playing Ohio State. I think he's still going to be successful running the ball. And so, with where the NFL is at now, and, and we say this so much on this show, but I just want a quarterback who will, number one, take chances. And number two, can create on his own. We used to say that about running backs. I desperately want that at the quarterback position now. I would much rather have a Trey Lance who can, okay, uh, I hit my third step. First read's gone. Second read's gone. I'm out of here. See you guys. I'm taking off. Because we've seen success with that. 
Yeah, I think Greg Roman is somewhere thinking, how do I get my hands on this guy? Like I have uh, Trey Lance and I have Justin Fields to choose from. He's probably going to be a head coach this year. Uh, I think both of these guys would do a very good job of fitting into what he wants to do offensively, especially Trey Lance, who, like you said, very good running the football. And when he gets to that third step, if it's not there, he can take off. I do think that that would fit so well with Greg Roman. I know that we had a question about it, and now watching him play, it just makes more sense. Yeah, we've seen it with quite a few guys that are going to be high up on the list of um, head coaching candidate you know, uh, lists across the board, whether it's Greg Roman, Brian Dable's done a good job of it. I mean, they have jo- yeah. Josh Allen is a monster in the red zone because they, they use his running ability so effectively. You know, Eric Bieniemy is somebody that is going to be ready to call that kind of offense. We know how mobile, and, and Matt, I know you pointed this out on Twitter, Pat looks like a more explosive runner this year. Now, Pat's a guy that, you know, you don't want to constantly lean on the run game, but he has some pretty big gains when everybody drops back and you give him so much space in front of him, he'll just take it. That's part of Pat's game. So I think a lot of the coaches that are getting ready to, you know, move up from offensive coordinator to head coach, but will still be calling plays or still be making game plans, have to be excited about the top three guys in this class because we've seen it with Trevor Lawrence for such a big quarterback, a very athletic guy, and his running style is kind of like Pat's, right? He's kind of nimble. He's lighter on his feet than you expect for such a big guy with a big arm, but he's a smart runner. Uh, Justin Fields and Trey Lance, a, a lot of the same. They're guys that don't constantly have to run, but when it's given to them, they can take it or they can also make a guy miss. So you look at this quarterback class, it, it's so exciting because you have three guys across the board that have big arms, are really, really good runners, and, and seem to be smart players. And that's why, you know, I, I know it's early and a lot of people are probably tired of hearing it this time of year all the time, but we really mean it. Uh, this could be a special trio of quarterbacks. Yeah, definitely could. And for Lance, now he gets to start getting ready. And we'll see Trevor Lawrence. We'll see Justin Fields play a, hopefully a full season. Trevor Lawrence has already looked amazing this year. But now Trey Lance has, a, a, this is maybe his advantage, that now he has time to prep. He can get to, a, I don't know who he's working with, a Quincy Avery, a Jordan Palmer. He can get to a, a private quarterbacks coach and start, they'll start breaking his game down and being like, okay, here's what you're good at. We're going to work on that. Here's what you're not so good at right now. We're going to get you to that level. We can't. You can't do anything about his level of competition. You can't change that. It is what it is. You can't do anything about the number of games he played in college football at all. Like that's, It is what it is. What you can do is now go in and say, okay, we've seen what you've done in, you know, what does he play, 15, 16 games? Let's, let's break that down. Let's talk to scouts. Let's talk to, you know, media guys. Let's talk to coaches, figure out where you need the most work so that by – March when he's doing a pro day, April when he's doing a pro day, you can have a lot of these things wrinkled out. So I'm excited to see where Trey Lance is in five months from where we are now. Because something I, I say all the time, guys, we start evaluating quarterbacks in January. Like you want to get the full picture of the player and then you start doing the, what's this guy like? Is he a worker? How smart is he? What, you know, what is the the personality like? What's the character like? And, and those are all a big part of the quarterback evaluation as much as, how many interceptions did you throw? How many touchdowns did you throw? It's so much about aptitude almost instead of where you're at right now. And I think that's a good time to segue to this point. Dwayne Haskins was benched in Washington, fellas. Not just benched, he was moved basically off the depth chart. Kyle Allen will start this weekend. 
Alex Smith will back him up. Dwayne Haskins is now quarterback three uh, in Washington, which to me says we might see a trade coming. I know trades are very, very hard this year because you basically have to isolate for a week if you're traded. So it, it becomes a tricky situation. I think that Dwayne Haskins could be an exception because if you're trading for him, it's for the future. It's not for right now. But guys, we see another, I think, domino from this quarterback, the way quarterbacks are evaluated and treated in the NFL right now, another one falls. And for Dwayne Haskins, yes, he got somewhat of an opportunity, not much of one. Uh, he was in, I believe, an unwinnable situation, not trying to make excuses for him. It's just, it's it's not a good offensive line. There's been a coaching change. Uh, there's reports that even like the last coaching staff didn't necessarily want him. This coaching staff comes in and they give him, you know, four games and then he's, then he's gone. And honestly, I didn't think he looked that bad last week. Um, but you can see where they need a spark and they think knowing Kyle Allen, like they do from Carolina Haskins is on the way out and one and a half years into his NFL career. He has started 11 games. I still think there's plenty of meat on this bone for him to get somewhere like in Indianapolis, like a Pittsburgh, wherever, like a, hopefully a San Francisco and make a different story for himself. Yeah, I think so too. And I know a lot of people were pissed off the other day when he got benched that, oh man, how could you move him to quarterback three and he's not getting any reps at practice. You feel bad for the kid. He's still a young guy in this league. You want to see him do well. But at the same time, the Washington football team has a job to do, and that's win games. And if they're benching Dwayne Haskins, they're essentially saying, we don't think this is the guy that can come in and win games for us. If you don't think he's going to win games for you, why would you give him reps? You have to get Kyle Allen ready. You have to get Alex Smith ready because you moved him into the backup role. We also saw what happened the last time he played. He's got to take real reps. You've got to get him in there. I do think this is a situation where Dwayne Haskins is probably going to be on the trade block, and a lot of teams are going to be interested because, like you said, Matt, this isn't for right now. This isn't like when Jimmy G got traded and it was like, ooh, this guy's going to be our starter this year. He's probably going to get traded to a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers, Indianapolis Colts, somewhere where he can sit probably for the rest of this season and then maybe look at taking over that starting job next year, maybe, or, or maybe even sitting another year. But, you know, a lot of people like to give me crap because I was very high on Jared Stidham. It was because I said, don't take Daniel Jones or Dwayne Haskins in the first round. You could get a guy like Stidham in the third. And I think that, you know, we've seen Dwayne Haskins get benched. I don't think that we'll see Daniel Jones next year. I don't know if he'll get a longer leash, but that was a bad quarterback class. We all said it. We all knew it. Uh, it sucks that the guy didn't get his chance. But the Washington football team has a, a chance to win this division this year. I think coming into the season, they were sitting there thinking, let's ride it with Haskins, see what the young guy has. Now Ron Rivera is looking at this saying, we have a chance to win this division right now. Who's our, who's our best chance division. at quarterback, right? And it's Kyle Allen. He comes in, he knows the offense. And one thing that I had heard that uh, Dwayne Haskins didn't play bad against Baltimore, but they also didn't have their full offense out there. They didn't have the full playbook. And they think with Kyle Allen, they can run that full playbook and they might be able to make a push for the playoffs this year. I think my problem with it, like you can make the argument, right, that they got to win football games and that division is wide open and that, you know, it sucks that they're, they seem to be moving on from Haskins when the guy is, what, 23 years old. Matt said he's started 11 games. You know, there just isn't really, that's not giving a guy a chance. But if you if that's your selling point that it's like, hey, the staff isn't in on him and they want to win the division and they think they could do that now, 
you can't sell me that Kyle Allen is the guy that's going to do that. I, I mean, I just find that absolutely ridiculous. Now, I don't know if there's some kind of feeling here that this begins the road to Alex Smith coming back in, which seemed like a unrealistic possibility not that long ago. But now he is the number two quarterback for this team. Now, what Alex Smith will look like if he ever steps foot on a football field again uh, remains to be seen. But I thought Kyle Allen was just flat out bad with the Panthers. Now, sure, he exceeded expectations. I get that. As an undrafted guy that was in a starting role and people pulp the numbers and there'll be like 17 touchdowns, 16 picks, you know, an 80 quarterback rating. He completed 62% of his passes. That's all fine and dandy. But when the games mattered for them, he was bad. Uh, he threw a lot of passes that uh, were just head scratchers overall. So maybe this offensive staff believes in him executing the offense. But behind this offensive line, uh, it would have banged up Terry McLaren right now, who's still playing very good, but he's hurt. He's not even practicing during the week. I just I don't really get it honestly at all. And I, and I don't think it's a move where we'll come back in eight weeks and say, Hey, Washington went on a run with Kyle Allen and now they're in the lead for the division. I'm not expecting that at all. I, I think odds are that we're talking about Washington being in the race for one of these top three quarterbacks instead. Yeah. That's where I see this at. Like, and you know, you put him at QB three, that way you can move him if you need to. And it's not a huge, you know, it doesn't really affect what you're doing long-term. Uh, but it, it has been rough. And even like I'm a huge Kyler Murray fan. I love the way he's playing. Like he's struggling this year. You know, this 2019 quarterback class struggling a little bit. Drew Locke is hurt. Otherwise, we might be able to talk about that. Uh, you know, Jarrett Stidham had a came in at what halftime against the Chiefs and had like some good throws, had some terrible throws. And so it's it's really it's it's been pretty uneven. And I say that Kyler, you know, had a good week last week against the Cardinals, but or excuse me, against the Panthers. I don't want people in my mentions over that. I'm just said he's struggling. He had a good game last week. Okay, moving on, guys. Something that is happening real-time as we sit here Thursday morning. The Tennessee Titans have yet another positive test, running their total to 23. Now, that's Thursday morning at 10 a.m. It could be 32 by when you're hearing this. Like, who knows? But there's a problem here. And namely, the problem is they had a positive test, and instead of following NFL protocols, both inside and outside their facility, they broke those. Uh, there's video, there's surveillance video in their facility, guys. The NFL and the NFLPA have seen this, where they weren't wearing masks inside the facility. And then when they their facility got shut down, players went and practiced and worked out together. Now, I understand you're a player. You don't know when you're going to play again. That Your job security is tied to how you perform on the field. We were just talking about a, a second-year quarterback being benched 11 games into his career. So I get that. Like You don't want to lose your job. But you also have to follow the rules. And as we're sitting here, it does not look like the Titans are going to be able to play the Bills anytime soon. Their facility is still not open. Uh, speaking to people Thursday morning around the NFL and, and folks even with inside the NFL offices, there's going to be a harsh punishment for this. Like, do you remember Bounty Gate, Spy Gate? Like, th that was harsh punishment. First round picks gone, big fines. I, I think we could see something very similar here. And another point do not be surprised. If the Titans are forced to forfeit this game, that would be a win for the Bills, a loss for the Titans. Uh, I'm speaking to someone right before we sat down. Uh, there is a COVID-19 basically protocol that if a game is canceled, neither team gets paid. I was told, again, right before we sat down today, if a game is forfeited, the other team would still get paid. So the Bills players would still get paid. That's a huge sticking point in this. 
Uh, and then with in far, as far as draft order goes, well, more losses you have, the better, right? So I'm told for draft order, this would actually count as a win for the Titans. So it would hurt their draft order, even if they, if they get a first-round pick. So <laughs> what I'm hearing, let me sum this up. What I'm hearing, the Titans could have to forfeit. The Bills players would still get paid. And the Titans, part of their penalty would be, this game counts as a win in terms of draft order, which can be significant. Think of all the years. It's like, oh, the Niners would have had Andrew Luck had they lost that game. Or the Chiefs would have had, you know, X player. Or the Jets would have had this guy if they lost one game. One game can be huge. And the Titans have already had one game moved. Might have another one. Might have another one, excuse me, that doesn't happen. Yeah, it absolutely crazy to see what's going on here. And I think even when you look at like the Patriots and Cam Newton and Stephon Gilmore, who we're going to talk about too, it seems like, you know, you have the two guys no big deal. We'll move around the schedule. You'll play on Monday night. Hopefully everything works out there. But for the Titans, we're going on week two now where the NFL took and rearranged this entire schedule so that they could have a bye week then, so that Pittsburgh could have a bye week and, and rearranging everything. You can't do that now. Like with This weekend, maybe if you can play that game on Monday or Tuesday. But when you get to looking after that, I do think the Tennessee Titans are a team that's going to have to take a forfeit. And I kind of want to see, honestly, how does that work out? I hate it for the Titans fans because I kind of like that organization as well. But I want to see what the NFL does with it. What is it going to mean for the draft and what punishments are going to come down? Because they're fining coaches $100,000 for not wearing their mask. What the heck are you going to do to a player when you have a whole team pretty much practicing without mask in the facilities, getting together when you're not supposed to? I think this is going to be bigger than fines. I do think that we're going to be looking at loss of draft picks. The NFL has been hinting about it, sending memos about if you don't have your mask on, you could be losing draft picks. Now it's time to do it. And I want to see what the NFL does. I think so as well. I think that's what it's going to come down to is one, you know, it's not any fault of the Bills, right? That's why, and I know the Bills would be the first to tell you, hey, we don't want a forfeit win, but it's kind of what's fair right now, right? Like, you don't want the Bills schedule to have to be all shuffled up now or the Bills to not have this game count on their record because the Titans were not fit to play. It just is what it is where... If this is the case that they really did break protocol, which all signs are starting to point in that direction, then it should be a forfeit. And and I agree with it, Matt, that the draft order should be impacted in that way because why should you get right? You, the Titans are were an expected contender this year, and uh, having a forfeit on the schedule is is a blow to their playoff chances or any kind of chances at all. But while also you'd still be rewarding them if it did affect the draft order as well. So there really should be no rewards that come out of this at all. Now, I, I'm with you, Mello. I think ultimately we could see draft picks taken away as a part of this punishment where that might not even matter in all of this, the draft order, all that much. But when you look at it, I, I mean, you have to do... This isn't like the base... It doesn't seem like the MLB situation, right? Where now the Marlins part there was definitely rumors of them being out but I remember when the Cardinals had cases and then the Mets had a case or two when they went down to Florida ironically like those are things that when you're traveling they could just happen but this situation seems like that the Titans did not follow the NFL's put in place protocols so that like any other NFL protocol that's put in place in any regular year leads to a punishment 
And it, it's not fun. It's not exciting. They are a team that have been easy to root for. But that's just the way this thing has to go right now. Yeah, and again, like, I mean, we've had Mike Vrabel on this show. Like, I, I like what they're doing there. Like, they're a fun team to watch. They're tough. But, I mean, it's just like, why? And I, I don't know that – I'm not going to say this is on Vrabel. I'm not going to say it's on John Robinson. Like, it's – I it could think, be on one guy. Right. It's it, like, could, it could be on a you know anyone yeah. in the building. Yeah, and not going to point fingers, not going to name names. I actually don't know who patient zero is here, but it is concerning that it's, you know, that now we have 23 cases. And guys, not to play all science on you, but like 23, how many people do those 23 players interact with? That 23 can become 46 real fast, which becomes you know, 90 too real fast and like it just you know it, it compounds very very quickly and so like I, we are still talking about something that while most of us are probably going to be okay if we get it uh it's still something that could be scary you know so I, I think that's the other side of it like I don't ever want to become immune to this you know it's like oh my fantasy team's wrecked this week or you know like eh, well you know these this is still a scary situation uh I someone uh close to me got it and I was I was scared you know it's like okay well Hopefully they're in the minority, uh, you know, or in the majority, excuse me, and we'll be okay. But it's like we're still, still dealing with the health. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, not that close, man. No, we'd, be, we'd be doing this show from separate rooms if that happens. Yeah, no, no, definitely not. Um, <laughs> speaking of speaking of COVID, as we laugh about this, uh, we need to get Pat Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, excuse me, sorry, Pat. We need to get him in a bubble because uh, it's it's it was not good. Stephon Gilmore test positive the day after the game, and photos circulate of him of uh, Stephon Gilmore and Patrick Mahomes like like doing that like bro hug post game, yeah, like dapping up. And after it looks game. like he's like maybe it's always like this, but this week it seemed more so. It's like he's right fucking up in his face. Yes, like he's right like, there. Why are their face masks touching right? each other? Uh, it, it's a tough scene as a Chiefs fan, as an NFL fan. And I think a lot of people probably just root for Patrick Mahomes. I don't know many people that are rooting against that guy. Uh, it makes you nervous, though. I know that I woke up this morning and was checking. I, I got alerts from Adam Schefter tweeting. I saw COVID. Then I like my eyes woke up, too. And it's like, oh, it's the Titans players. Thank God it's not my team. Uh, but I'm still waiting uh, to see what happens. It really sucks for Stephon Gilmore. And I know like a lot of people were pissed off at him the other day. Like what He didn't do anything wrong. He went through all the protocols and the testing. He was testing. cleared to play. Yeah, he was cleared to play. He went out there and he did his job just like he's supposed to. So you can't be mad at this guy for going out and doing his job. Uh, it's just a shitty situation. It sucks for both guys. sucks for the Patriots, the Chiefs, everybody involved, their families. But this is just something that you have to monitor going forward. And, you know, hopefully it's just Cam Newton. Hopefully it's just Stephon Gilmore on the Patriots. And we don't have to deal with any of that with the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, that's like the domino effect in all of this, right? Is that waiting period where it's like, hey, it could, you know, it could be five days later. It can be six days later where you're waking up each morning and you're like, what is it going to be today? Who is it going to be today? Is it going to be anyone today? Like, I have to be honest with you guys, you know, to put it in perspective, I thought as we sit here and record this on a Thursday morning, I did not expect to keep waking up to more Titans positives yeah, right. I, after a day of no positive tests i'm like okay maybe we're in the clear here because let's be real the facility's been closed for quite some time and then you're like oh here we go again they're still testing positive so just because you hit a patch of one day of no positive tests two days of no positive tests three days of no positive tests or a week of the facility closed 
does not mean you're in the clear. And I think that is what is so not only scary, but extremely frustrating about all of this and makes it tough where there's no room for error, right? Like the NFL is always going to side with playing the games, right? Like it's probably the fact is the Chiefs are probably playing football this weekend. But when it comes down to it, it's not an easy judgment week to week. No, it's definitely not. And and like you said, the Chiefs uh, so far, uh, they don't have any positive tests. That's good. But again, not to pretend I'm a scientist, but like, you know, there's there's an incubation period with this thing. And most symptoms show up within three to five days, but not always. And I mean, there's so, things that we know by now. We're just waiting to with see. this for what, eight months? Like we know things now. So moving forward, I think we are all just kind of crossing our fingers, hoping that that this does get figured out. The NFL was off to such a great start, right? Oh my God, the season's happening and there's no positive test. It only takes one player. It only takes one team. Hopefully this does get figured out. Uh, There's flexibility in the schedule. Not worried about that. Things might not be what we're used to, but they will get figured out. I firmly believe that. Uh, Last thing, guys, and this is a big one. Bill O'Brien fired in Houston. This happened right after Melo and I recorded the show on Monday, I believe. And now they are looking for a head coach. Uh, Romeo Cornell in as the interim head coach for now. Notably, Jack Easterby. Who? Jack Easterby, who was a like a leadership coach. They brought in from New England. He is sitting on the Iron Throne, guys. I have heard he has six years left on his deal. He is serving as the interim what? president of player personnel or whatever. I don't know Jack Easterby. I know of him. This is unprecedented. For someone who like just comes in, he got Rick Smith fired. He got Brian Gain fired. He got Bill O'Brien fired. And now he's running the team. Start was, calling him Littlefinger. Was he with the Chiefs for a little bit, too? Uh, I don't think so. I I didn't know we were going here, so I didn't research at all, but I thought he was. Uh, But anyway, Bill O'Brien being fired, we all knew it was coming down. I didn't expect it in week four. But I mean, like, J.J. Watt, again, just getting things done in Houston. Everybody wants it. J.J. Watt, finally the straw that breaks the camel's back. Uh, I think it's interesting. It's almost like the organization chose... J.J. Watt over their head coach and GM. And yeah, the head coach and GM made some really bad decisions as well. But for him to finally be that straw and and kind of have the players revolt against him, I I think this is good for Houston, though. I think this is a move that was going to happen. Now you get to be the first ones out there. You can start, you know, putting names out there. You can start getting feelers for guys like Eric Bieniemy. Do you want to come play with Deshaun Watson? See what happens for the rest of the year. Uh, I think after an 0-4 start, you fired your head coach. You can even start getting a look at who do you want to keep on this team for next year? Who are the guys that you can build around? Who are the guys you need to get rid of? So uh, I think, obviously, this is a great move for Houston. And he was with the Chiefs, Mello. You're right. Um, in 2011 and 2012, Scott Pioli made a character development role yes. for him. So uh, I have asked around about Jack Easterby because I don't know him. I don't know much about him. Uh, the reason being is, for anyone that listens to this show, us three have always kind of kept a pulse on the up-and-coming personnel guys in the NFL. And when you have somebody come out of nowhere and become the executive vice president of football operations and start having a say in personnel and start having a say in who the GM is and somehow getting two GMs fired, which is extremely rare to have that kind of leverage or that kind of uh, pull towards an owner, you wonder where did this guy come from, right? It's not a scout. It's not a director, uh, not a former player, 
not anything He's like a former that. This pastor. is a pastor. Yeah. This is a pastor that has been a character development kind of guy. That's a role that didn't even exist with the Chiefs until Pioli made it one. And then obviously was with New England for a while. My gut feeling, and I've had some people kind of hint this at me, is that what he's telling Texans ownership is that he's the guy that can bring over a Nick Casario, can bring over a Josh McDaniels from yep. New England because that's the relationships he has. Whether that happens remains to be seen because we hear this every single year from various people and it never happens. But what I can tell you is Littlefinger is an apt <laughs> comparison, Matt. This is not, this is very bizarre. Uh, there are a lot of people in football that do not like what's going on in Houston right now. Don't get me wrong. There needs to be a change with Bill O'Brien. But when there needs to be change, it's kind of like, right, you 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 want to see change. Like, the Jets need to move on from Todd Bowles, and then Christopher Johnson hired Adam Gase. Like, do you trust Jack Easterby to be the guy to lead this franchise in a the right football direction? A pastor going in the right football direction. I find it all bizarre. Um... Um, I have a watchful eye on this story and where it goes, but man, this is uh, this is one of the strangest NFL stories we have seen from a front office perspective since I've been doing this. Yes, and I this isn't one of those things where it's like we think we're eligible for this job and we're upset that someone an outsider is getting it. It's not like that. I, I love that people always go there. Thank you for Just having that much qualified. faith in us. Again, yeah, I don't think he's that qualified, but. And we've seen this before, and I, I really enjoy J.J. Watt. I love Deshaun Watson. And so we've seen it before, though, where players are like, hey, we want this guy. Players shouldn't be making that decision. Baker Mayfield, remember when he wanted Freddie Kitchens? Like, don't let players make decisions. That is not what your job is. Your job is to play, and the guy that you like is probably not the best guy for you. No one likes Bill Belichick. You know why? He's an asshole, but he's the greatest coach in NFL history. So like you sometimes you need that. And so is Bill O'Brien like did Bill O'Brien deserve to be fired? Yes. I think he deserved to be fired the day he traded DeAndre Hopkins. You should have fired him and been like, actually, we didn't mean to do that. We want it back. Like, nope. He, he's gone. Undo. Undo. Right. Control Z. Control right? Z. Uh, but it is going to be interesting in Houston. They say they will start looking for a GM uh, and a head coach after the season. I think we all know that Nick Casario and Josh McDaniels are tops on that list, but We'll definitely be watching to see. Something I wrote about this week, the Jets, Falcons, Lions, anybody else that's making a move might want to do it because even if this is like, oh, it's a done deal, it's going to be New England South. Well, you tried that actually with Bill O'Brien and it didn't work, uh, but you you got to get in on it because it might be Eric Bieniemy. You know, it might be whomever, Greg Roman. It might be Brian Dable. So like you got you to make a move or you're going to get lapped. And the, the, the Jets and Lions... Both have made a lot of bad decisions personnel wise and front office wise. So they gotta get they gotta get their hat in the ring. Uh okay, guys, it's time for a little thing Mellow Coast blind review. A little blind review action for you if this is your first time listening. Uh where the hell have you been? But also, we sit down and we record on Thursday mornings, which means uh, we don't get to review the game. So we do our blind review predictions. Fellas. No fucking around this week. This is an actual football game that I actually watched last night. Bears at Buccaneers. I can't wait for this game. This is Nick Foles and Tom Brady all over again, and it lives up to the hype. You got Tom Brady out there going for four touchdowns, riding on my bench in fantasy football, but that's okay because you get to see Tom Brady versus Nick Foles again. The Bears, a lot of hopes for Nick Foles. 
Doesn't look much better than Mitch Trubisky. Bucks win this one 31-17. Looking like a leader in the NFC. Man, I was expecting more razzle-dazzle with the fun facts about uh, if a pirate could tackle a bear, if a bear, how many swipes it would take, or the impact force of a bear's jaws, or none of that, huh? None uh, of that. If a grizzly bear hits you in the head, it could take your head right off. I okay. know that. That's there we a fact. Go. There is a fact. That is true. I don't think these bears have any chance against these Buccaneers, though. Tom Brady and that offense, they are absolutely rolling, even with their wide receivers banged up. I think the bears, we don't know who they are. We have no idea with the quarterback change. I'm rolling with the Bucks as well. Or excuse me, the Bucks were so impressive last night. I'm used to picking games, and I I think guy Tom Brady, legit MVP candidate. Wow, there there's a take. I mean, he needed that one last night because it's been an up and down performance. But the Bears started out hot. Offense is cooling down a little bit. The defense cooling down a little bit. That'll happen when you run into Brady. We got to see the patented Tom Brady sneak at the goal line for a key score in this one. So the Bucks. Really rolling right now. All right, let's take a break. It's time for whatever we're doing next. I don't remember. Melo's got me so messed up because he didn't do his thing. Uh, we're picking games next. Pick six. That's what it is. We'll be back. Okay, I've collected myself. It is time for college and NFL pick sixes. And let's start here. Number four, Florida Gators, minus six and a half at number 21, Texas A&M. Kyle Trask is unstoppable. Kyle Pitts is unstoppable. The wide receivers that Florida has, Almost unstoppable. Don't forget about that defense, too. I think Kellen Mond struggles a lot in this one. Florida rolls. I take them to win, and I think they cover. Yeah, I like Florida a lot in this one, too. And I know our last episode, Matt, I, I talked some shit on Kyle Pitts. But not really. As a prospect. Like, I just I want to see more as a dra draft prospect out of him. There's no doubt about it. He's one of the best tight ends in college football right now. He's going to be targeted early. He's going to be targeted often in this one. A matchup that I'm looking for, though, is I want to see what safety Leon O'Neal Jr. for Texas A&M can do. I think that's a guy you might be able to match up with him. Uh, he's got a little more size than a traditional corner. He's a safety. I think that's one to watch, but I still think this Florida offense is just too much. Kyle Trask has them rolling. I think uh, Kadarius Toney can have a big day. I know they're favored by six and a half, and I think they cover that. I, I really think that it's going to come off as a biased like, Texas fan. Texas A&M is just not any good. They, they are an average, middle-of-the-road SEC team. I know you were above average in the Big 12, but this is a team that we overrate every single year. I think they're going to get another loss uh, against Florida this weekend. Yeah, this is a nice line, right? This is a really good betting line where I'm with you. I see a Florida cover. You know, here's the problem. I don't think A&M's defense, or specifically their secondary, can do anything against this Florida juggernaut right now. And Kellen Mond has some drives here and there where he looks great, but the consistency of the A&M offense is always a question mark. Florida, the defense has not been good, but it really doesn't matter at this point, right? They're going to outscore you every single time. So, I don't see anybody that can match up with Kyle Pitts. If they dedicate three people to him, then Tony's going to go off. Kyle Trask will spread the ball around in this offense. Uh, listen, it, this could be the kind of game where Florida wins like 45 to 25, but that six and a half line doesn't scare me at all. Florida all the way. All right, this is going to be a fun one. Uh, we get Virginia Tech, number 19 Virginia Tech, at North Carolina. The Tar Heels are favored by five and a half. They're also ranked inside the top 10. I'm taking the Tar Heels. I think Sam Howell and this offense are going to be a big problem for Virginia Tech. And I do give a lot of respect to this Virginia Tech defense. Their left tackle is a legitimate NFL prospect. Like there's there's talent at Tech, without a doubt. 
Mac Brown is a big game coach. We've seen this before. And Sam Howell, whether he's getting the ball to Michael Carter in the backfield or getting it out to Diami Brown or Daz Newsom, like this is such a talented offensive team. I don't see Virginia Tech able to slow them down. Wouldn't be shocked if this ends up being a high scoring one, but I got to go with the Tar Heels. Not so fast there, Matt. I'm going with Virginia Tech in this one. Uh, I've actually been a little let down by that North Carolina offense so far this year. And I think with Virginia Tech, we kind of underrated them. Now, we looked at them and said that they've struggled, but there's a guy at running back there that they have, Khalil Herbert. He's a name to watch for the NFL draft. This is a senior guy that I think we will probably see in Mobile. He's having a damn good season right now. I think that North Carolina, that defense going up against this rushing attack, Hendon Herbert, sh Hooker should be healthy this weekend at quarterback for Virginia Tech. I think this is going to be a really good matchup. I'm taking Virginia Tech, though, in this one. This is a great game, and, and I'm with you. I'm going to go with Virginia Tech with a bit of an upset here, you know, at least covering that line, but I think they can outright win this game. And when you look at the Hokies right now, uh, they were down to their third-string quarterback, Quincy Patterson, at a point against NC State a, a week ago, and he came in and lit it up. So it, it doesn't really matter with what kind of injuries or players in protocol because of COVID that has gone on. They've been they've had postponements. Uh, Tech is going to find a way. They're deep at the quarterback position. I think the defense will play very good against this North Carolina offense. So, uh, you know, there's been a lot of hype around North Carolina. I understand that they have talent on both sides of the ball, but I think they're walking into a buzzsaw against this Hokies team. Uh, it is going to be – that is, that is, in my opinion, the game to watch this weekend. That game. That I is agree. the game to watch? That's the game to watch, in my opinion. Oh, but what about the next <laughs> Not the next game. <laughs> now, the next game is the one that I'm going to be, like, living or dying on, but the game of the weekend is Virginia Tech at North Carolina. And here's the thing. Here's why. Number 22, Texas, which is perfect because that's double hook'em horns, right? At Oklahoma, I am confidently picking Texas, which you never do, ever. You just don't do it. Since Vince Young left, you never confidently pick Texas to do anything but disappoint you and cause heartache and take years off your life. Here's why I'm picking the Longhorns. It's not because I'm a fan. It's because when this game doesn't fucking matter, Texas always wins. If this game matters, Oklahoma <laughs> kicks the shit out of us. Doesn't matter, Texas will probably fucking win by 50. So but mad. when they're both top 10 and it's like, Big 12's riding on this, got to get a win to be in the natty conversation. Nope, you go out there and you're fucking throwing the football behind your head. This game means nothing this year. Texas wins easily. Uh, I actually, I kind of agree with you on this one. I, I like to disagree with you, but I don't. Uh, you're right, though. Like Tom Herman, he's going to get these guys ready for big games. He's going to shit his pants against TCU and not have the guys ready to go where you're having 24 uh, penalties in a game. But I do think Texas wins this game. I, I think the Oklahoma sitting there with two losses already. I think the Texas pass rush, specifically Joseph Osai, I think he's going to get after Spencer Rattler. I think he's going to rattle the young quarterback and force some turnovers. And, and Sam Ellinger, this is his fourth time playing in this game. It is definitely not too big for him. Uh, stadium's going to be pretty empty this Saturday, but I do think Texas wins this game. They're a little bit of an underdog, but depending on where you look, you can actually find them as a favorite as well. So I'm going with Texas in this one. I, I think they need this win. Tom Herman needs this win because if Texas loses, Tom Herman is on the hot seat. If Lincoln Riley loses, no big deal. Get him next year. We're rebuilding. 
no problem. So I think this game means a little bit more to Texas, means a little more to Tom Herman. And like you said, Matt, this game doesn't even fucking matter anymore because the Big Ten, Big 12 shit the bed. Texas is probably going to win it, and it's not going to mean anything. It will still mean something to beat Oklahoma, but it means nothing. Let me say that. There we go. Sorry, Connor. Go ahead. This game. No, it's all right. This game should be a pick them, right? That's where both of these Uh teams are at. Uh, If it is, I'm going to pick Oklahoma because if Lincoln Riley loses three games in a row, I I won't even know how to process that at this point. And I'm sorry, guys. I'm just I'm starting to lose faith in the Tom Herman message. It's like every time I get really high on this Longhorns team, that's a veteran team across the board, not in every spot, but a lot of key spots. You can't lose games like that, right? You, you shouldn't be coming down to thrillers with Texas Tech, but it happens, and you, you won. But then when you're just shitting the bed in big spot, like if, if you go out and you lose one game, whatever, but for Texas, just it's a roller coaster with this coaching staff all the time. And like you said, Melo, they just come out flat in times where you least expect them to, but now it's at the point where we're starting to expect it. So... I think it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be a shootout. I think the over has been hovering around 70 points. I would still go a a, a tick above that, but I just don't see Lincoln Riley losing three games in a row. So I'm going to go with the Sooners. That is a great point. Uh, It's just been a weird year. Uh, Okay, moving on. SEC football, 2.30 Central Time kick. You know this is going to be a good one. Number 14, Tennessee at number three, Georgia. The Bulldogs are favored by 12. And guys, I think Georgia will be on Tennessee like Morgan Wallen's on co-eds. They win this one, but Tennessee covers. The the Volunteers are sneakily back right now. Now, they're not ready to win the the SEC, but I like what Jeremy Pruitt's doing. This is a very young team with a very good defense, a very good offensive line. So I do think Georgia wins, but Tennessee covers. And I'm going to agree with you once again, damn it. Uh, I'm going with Georgia. The over-under on this game is set at 42.5. And I'll tell you guys, I might take the under in this one. Matchups that I'm watching, though, that Tennessee offensive line is kick-ass. And they're going to go up against a very, very good Georgia Bulldogs defense. That's going to be a battle to watch all day. Like Cade Mays out there at right guard, right tackle, getting revenge on his old team. Uh, I think this is going to be a very exciting game, the 2.30 kickoff on CBS. This is the one where you might have to fight through your nap. But I do think it's going to be exciting. I think it's going to be close. Georgia wins this one with the running game and solid defense just like they've been doing for 20 years down there in Athens but a very good game to watch yeah and I'm joining the Miller Miller and Miller prediction here right I mean I think it's a Georgia win but line's kind of disrespectful Mm -hmm. I mean 12 points for what Tennessee's come out and shown you so far and maybe this is the one where they do shit the bed but I think physically they can hang with Georgia and not a lot of teams can right you saw Zamir White really you know wear teams down so far the offensive line can wear teams down but I don't think you could do that to this Tennessee team so if they lost by more than you know 10 points here you're almost getting into the two touchdown range that 12 line I I would be really surprised but this is a game where Georgia at least wins Tennessee do we still see the frat boy quarterback Old Stetson Bennett, Bennett the fourth? I, I think until he loses the job, <laughs> the it's fourth. his. He really is a fourth. That's, I'm not that funny. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, man, that's cool. Yeah. Right? Pop Sometimes the like, jokes come on, write at themselves. At some point, just drop. Yeah. Them. Right? Stetson fourth, Start the 19th. New. There's been three. Now we run it back to I'm the first of this generation. Right? <laughs> yeah. Fourth of his name. I'm going to start calling him that. Uh, all right. This, this might actually be game of the week. Number seven, Miami. At number one, Clemson. Clemson is favored by 14. We have not seen them tested. 
at all so far this season, guys. Uh, Trevor Lawrence has been phenomenal. Uh, the defense is stout, even though it's like not full of you know the big name players we've come to know in years past. But we get Herbie, we get Fowler. This is going to be an excellent Saturday night football, six thirty on ABC. If you're in the Central Time Zone, that is. I do think Clemson wins. Again, favored by 14. I think they win. I think Miami covers. Miami has enough speed on offense. I think Brevin Jordan is going to be a problem for Clemson in this game. I think the running game is going to be a problem for Clemson in this game. Don't be surprised if we have to see some later game Trevor Lawrence heroics. I would take the under in this game as well, 63 points. And I'm going with Clemson. I think they remind everybody who daddy is in the ACC still. I like the Miami team. I think they've got some really good guys on defense still, despite losing uh, Rousseau at edge. They still have uh, the transfer from Temple, whose name that I can't remember. Jalen Phillips, Roche, Roche yep. and Phillips are both still very good edge rushers. They've got Bolden in the secondary. This is a team that could give Clemson some trouble, but fellas, there's just too much potential there. There's too much talent on that Clemson team with Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne and even Rodgers at receiver. I know Connor loves that guy. I just I, there's too much. And then when you look at the defense, they're still loaded. They just rebuild every year. I think Clemson wins this one, and I think it gets out of hand. I mean, I got a root for family, but I think when I look at this line here, this is the A and M Alabama line this week, where you look at it and go, man. A&M really shouldn't lose to Alabama by more than 21 points. You sit there and go, number seven, Miami. They really shouldn't lose to Clemson by more than two touchdowns. Uh, they will. So I, I look at it. I, I like this line for Clemson. I think the offense comes out firing. Big fan of Jalen Phillips. Big fan of Quincy Roche. You're right, Melo. They got, they got dogs up front that can attack, and that's what makes this an exciting game to watch. For Trevor Lawrence, how does he throw under pressure? How does he throw? Because there is really hasn't been pressured a lot this year and in some cupcake matchups already. So this is a game where you're going to get to see that pro performance from Trevor Lawrence. But I think Clemson, Travis Etienne will be the guy in this game. I could see him having like 180 all-purpose yards. Clemson wins big. I love what the Canes are doing. I love the direction they're going. They're a fun team to watch. Clemson's on just a different level right now. They absolutely are. And, And Trevor Lawrence, like, I, we're so used to him being great. I don't know if we're paying attention to how great he's playing. You know, it's like it's, it's a Tom Brady MVP thing. Like, exactly. He's got to play so well for us to actually recognize what he's doing. Like three phenomenal throws a game is just not going to move the needle for Trevor Lawrence. That's just what we've come to expect from that guy. Yeah, no, without a doubt. Uh, one NFL game because we really don't know which ones are going to get played, but this should be a big one. The Vikings at Seattle. The Seahawks are favored by a touchdown, and I am taking them. Russell Wilson continues his amazing play this year. I'm sorry, this Minnesota secondary is in for one hell of an afternoon or evening or whenever this game is being played. Uh, the Seahawks are just too good right now. Like They are the best team in the NFC. They're one of the best teams in the NFL. I would be all over Seattle with this one. Same. And this is our Sunday night football game. Uh, not a great Sunday schedule this weekend, but uh, I, this is the Sunday night matchup. So Vikings at Seahawks. I think the line on this one should be double digits. I'm taking the Seahawks. I'm taking the points. I think Russ just builds that MVP resume this week, probably throws for five touchdowns. Depending on where you get your lines, I think Seattle's covered almost every single week this year. Uh, so when you look at it, no different against this Minnesota team that is flat out bad right now and it doesn't matter if the Vikings offense gets going in this one which Jamal Adams is out I think they're going to be able to run the ball against Seattle and I think you know maybe even the pass game will get going a little bit 
but they won't be able to keep up with that Seattle offense. It's going to be a tough day for the Vikings secondary. Uh, I'm with you, Melo. I think we have another four to five touchdown performance from Russ in this one. Seattle wins and covers that minus seven line. A special draft on Draft for Y'all presented by our good friends at Dos Equis. Mello, you got the questions. We will give you the answers. And our first question from our guy, Josh Collier. He wants to know, is this quarterback class good after the top three guys? I feel like everyone is looking to find QB4, and I feel like that might be an indictment on this class overall. Am I wrong in that assessment? So I, it reminds me a lot of last year where we kind of knew who we knew who Tua was. We knew who Justin Herbert was. And so we had this kind of clear-cut hierarchy at the quarterback position, and then came Joe Burrow. And so I think we have to let it play out. I'm not saying Kyle Trask is Joe Burrow. Kyle Trask looks pretty good. So I don't think we're, we're looking at who quarterback four is. I think there's been a lateness by a lot of people to accept who QB four is. And now it's like, okay, who's QB five? Because I feel like right. the top four is rock solid set in stone. And it might be a Desmond Ritter. It might be a Shane Bouchelle. It might be Sam Ellinger. There could be someone still rising through the ranks, but I think we're pretty set top four. And I would agree with you. My top four pretty set. I like Kyle Trask. The thing about him is I wanted to see what is he going to do this season, another year with Dan Mullen, where he is the full, he is the starter. No Felipe Franks in there to compete with. I'll tell you, a guy I'm looking at at QB5, I'm going to steal this one from our friends at the College Chaps. Uh, the Mormon Manziel, Zach Wilson of BYU. Yes, yes. He looks really exciting. He's an intriguing prospect. I believe he's still a true junior. But I do think that this is actually a pretty good quarterback class. I love the top three guys. I think Trask is making a name for himself as QB4. But I also think we have some guys like a Shane Bouchelle, Sam Ellinger, Zach Wilson that could be getting up there for even QB5. Maybe not as a first rounder, but we're going to see some of these guys go in the second round. Yeah, it feels like we have some intrigue, right, outside of the very obvious top three. You've heard so much about Lawrence, Fields, Lance, and now you're even hearing so much about Trask because of how good that offense is, how good he looks. And you you guys hit on a ton of good names. I'll throw one more in. Now, he's only a redshirt sophomore, so I don't know if he'll even declare, but Matt Corral of Ole Miss is somebody that's showing both the ability to get it done through the air and a guy that can pick up yards on the ground, make you miss and get to the marker. So I think for Matt Corral right now, you know, he got some of a sample size in 2019, but not a ton of playing time. Now he looks like he's really locked in this year, comfortable in the offense, uh, making some really nice throws up the seam, pushing the ball down the field when they need to, but also being smart enough to get the ball out quickly with the pass rush coming. So Matt Corral, don't know if he'll declare because he is a young guy in this group, but somebody that is at least going to come up in this conversation. Yep, and he was a big-time recruit, too, so he might be ready to get Absolutely. out of Ole Miss. Next question, Stefan Flitcroft. Yearly disappointment and inconsistent over his tenure. Is Anthony Lynn on the hot seat? So I don't think so yet, and here's why. He now has his quarterback, and Justin Herbert looks really good. Now, they lost. They were in a shootout with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and, and they're playing with – it's the Chargers, so stop me if you've heard this before. They're banged up, but I still think this is a young team. They've got a couple more pieces they need to add, maybe on the offensive line, maybe a new team doctor, but I think Justin Herbert is going to keep Anthony Lynn's job safe. I think so, too, and I think that even watching Hard Knocks, like I really think that Anthony Lynn's the guy for the, I almost said San Diego, for the Los Angeles Chargers, and I think with Herbert playing as well as he is, Lynn's bought himself a couple more years there. I, I do think that Justin Herbert's a guy who's going to make me go back and kind of analyze the tape because I was low on him, uh, but he's playing very well. I do think Anthony Lynn is the guy with the Chargers 
if not the Chargers, somebody's going to swoop in and get him. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he just wouldn't be available very long, which kind of tells you everything you need to know about his ability to coach. Now, you know, people are going to complain about maybe his personnel usage or, or things like that at the time. But it, like you said, they took a rookie quarterback and, and he's had to play earlier than they expected. And honestly, he's looked very good. Yeah. So when you're in that kind of situation, and I would be the first to tell you, I thought Justin Herbert was a round two kind of project player uh, that needed some time. Now, sure, he's had you know some ups and downs, but there's been a lot more high points than I expected. Uh, an incredible arm. He looks more comfortable than anyone expected. And I think Anthony Lynn has to get some credit for a lot of those things, having your rookie quarterback composed and ready to go. So I, I think when it comes down to the record, I don't really think it matters what happens to the Chargers this year because they like the program that Lynn is building and his rapport with a quarterback that you know he had to vouch for for them to take in the top 10. I agree with that. Jake Hawkins wants to know, do you guys think Texas A&M is regretting hiring Jimbo Fisher and or giving him that ridiculous 10-year, $7.5 million per year salary? Yes, 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 yes. Yep, there are so many good coaches out there, and you pick Jimbo Fisher, who couldn't keep Florida State out of sanctions. I, I've said this for a million years, uh, literally. Jimbo <laughs> Fisher is the most overrated coach in college football. It, without a doubt, like think of overrated coaches. It's Jimbo Fisher. I think A&M, uh, that buyout, you're not doing it this year. You're closing programs because of COVID-19, and you're paying an overrated coach $7.5 million this year. So you can't really fire him because you can't buy him out. So just wait long enough, though, you'll have calls. It'll be okay. And, and you know, even with Jimbo Fisher, like, yeah, the contract looks bad. It's a 10-year one. The buyout's going to be huge. You're also, you're getting in trouble again, though. Like, everywhere the guy goes. I know it's just at Florida State, but... He's bringing that trouble with him to Texas A&M, so I do think they're regretting it. Maybe not that they've given him 7.5 mil a year, but they're for damn sure looking at that 10-year contract thinking, what the hell did we do uh, giving this guy this many years? I mean, you didn't hire Jimbo Fisher to make a splash hire and make some headlines. You hired Jimbo Fisher to go out and win the doggone SEC, right? Like, yep. I mean, you expect to compete with Alabama, and I mean, they lost to what, 28 points? To Alabama, I'm not saying it has to be this year, but guys, I'm just not seeing the signs of life right away. It's I can't even say right away. I mean, he's had some time now, and you highlight a good point. You left Florida State in absolute shambles. You look what's going on at A&M. It's it's not phenomenal right now. You just have to wonder uh, the sustained success they're they're looking for with Jimbo Fisher, and, and that's competing in their conference. And we're just flat out not seeing it right now for the money that he's making. Yeah. And last question for us today, buddy. Al Hanze wants to know, which rookie receiver has impressed you the most? You know, we haven't seen a lot from them because of injuries, number one, to either them or their quarterbacks. And then we haven't seen a lot because I think without a preseason and a, an extended training camp window, like these guys weren't that ready to go. So, like, my answer would be CeeDee Lamb, but I understand, like, it's in a limited scope you know because we're not seeing anyone fly out of the gates and be leading their team in receptions you know like Henry Ruggs has been banged up Jerry Judy lost his uh, quarterback I think Justin Jefferson has shown a lot of really nice things he's in the best situation he should be showing a lot of really nice things as the 1b target for Kirk Cousins he should be playing at that level uh, so those would be the two that that stand out for me I guess if I had to fill out an all-rookie ballot after four weeks 
Probably putting them up there. I would say outside of those two guys, I'm kind of stumped on who you would even take. Because for me, it is. It's Justin Jefferson, who I think we're seeing him emerge and take over that role for Stephon Diggs. Like after the first two weeks, we wondered, is this going to work out? Is this going to happen? Now it's looking like it is a couple hundred yard games under his belt. So he's been the one that sticks out for me so far. Yeah, I think injuries, unfortunately, have been the storyline, right? When you look at it, it goes across the board of guys getting banged up. Jalen Rager, uh, Denzel Mims, you know, KJ Hamler, Henry Ruggs. The list goes on and on. How many of these guys got hurt? We've seen T Higgins turn it on a little bit, but the flat out answer for me is CD lamb. I mean, I, I look at CD lamb and I already think he's the focal point of this Dallas Cowboys offense. And maybe that's a matchup thing right now where listen, they might bracket Amari Cooper at times. They know the threat. Michael Gallup is you have to dedicate more defenders to stop Ezekiel Elliott at the line of scrimmage, but I don't care. CD lamb's taking advantage of the matchups. He looks like the best wide receiver to come out of this draft already. It's great to see the impact he's made. I think he was put in the best situation, but with that being said, at least he's flourishing in it right away. Yeah, and and it's only going to get better. I I know that about these guys, and we'll see what you know. Judy and Hamler and Rugs and Brian Edwards and and Brandon Ayuk. There's so many other good receivers in this class that are just waiting to break out. But guys, that is our show. Thank you to our friends at Dos Equis, not only for the the beer on our table, but for hanging out with us. And we'll be back Tuesday morning. You guys have a great weekend.